So, Lord, as we open the word now, open our hearts to hear it well, to receive it well. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher. May your, your word be the guide to the truth. We need the word. May it be for us, we pray, our lifeline to you. We know that Christ is the vine. We are the branches. But we want to follow you fully, so may we hear your word well and connect really well. We need this truth, maybe more than we realize. It's a simple one and yet profound. So bring it home to our hearts, would you please? So we follow well and live fruitful lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So if you have a Bible or New Testament, go with me to John 15. John chapter 15. And, and as you open it to John 15, uh, Jesus is saying in the opening verse, I am the true vine. And when he says that, his words are rich with meaning. They knew what a vineyard was all about. They knew about agriculture. They knew the stories. Many, if not most of their illustrations were from agriculture. So they were used to this vine, fruit, root illustration. And when he says to them, I'm the true vine, it was a lot. It was very significant to them. Uh, several of the prophets, Old Testament prophets, like Isaiah and Ezekiel, had mentioned the vine and the tree and the growth but several of the poets did as well. And from Psalm chapter one, uh, we just remind ourselves, blessed is the one who, verse two, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree. There's the illustration. That person is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. And whatever they do prospers. So from Psalm 1, a very, very common, very loved, very popular psalm, uh, the, the Lord uses this plant, tree, waters, fruitfulness, staying connected kind of illustration. So when Jesus uses it, it is very, they're very used to this kind of word picture. Now, John the Baptist, the very last prophet of the Lord for Jesus' uh, coming, John the Baptist... He was a rough and tumble kind of a prophet. He was out there, you know? And uh, he really told it like it was. And he said, you know, the Lord is coming and he has an ax and he's gonna go for the root of the tree. And he's gonna chop you down. If you're not productive, he's gonna cut you off at the root. And we wonder why people didn't really like John all that much, you know? His sermons were not, you know, the most popular. He was saying, repent, change your mind, because your life is like dead wood. Well, he was telling the truth. For years, they had known their life was like dead wood. And the reason was, the Lord would say, you know, I'm your source in your life, but they would never connect to him. And he'd say, if you don't connect, I'm going to bundle you up like a bunch of dead wood. I'm going to pile you and burn you. And he said that to Israel, his loved people. He said it more than once, that you, you have to follow. You are like dead limbs on the tree, and I will cut you off. And so when we read John chapter 15, Jesus is actually flipping this on its back and saying, I am the true vine. In other words, I'll help you connect. I'll get you to the gardener. I'll get you to the Father. You connect with me, I'll connect you to him. Because they had tried for years and never could successfully manage now, to give it some context before we read John 15, uh, the story, uh, as you go through the st story of John, 
it starts with his birth in a very picturesque way. But by the time we get to chapter 15, we've already had this last supper. That was chapter 13. And he says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And he's had table talk discussions. This is his last supper. But now that it's his last supper, he's really telling the truth. Not that he hadn't before, but he's getting down to what is first and foremost, which is the relationship I have with you. And that's what you would do too. If you knew you were, this was your last supper tonight, you'd gather the family at the table and you'd say, here's what I want to, you to know. I want you to know that I really love you and that I'm really proud of you. You would tell them things that you might not otherwise say at the dinner table. More than once, I've sat with a widow. It's happened to me a few times where the widow will say to me, I really miss Harold or whoever you know, the husband was who died. I said, what do you miss? And then they'll tell me two or three things. And then they'll say, but I'm really angry. I say, you are? Yeah, because they died and I miss them. And then they'll, they'll pause and they'll say, but I wish I just had them back for 30 minutes. And I know where this discussion is going because I've heard it from funeral directors. They tell me this all the time. I wish I had him back for 30 minutes. I said, what would you do if you had him back for 30 minutes? And then they pause and then they, they kind of, oh, you know, you think it would be something deep. But it, they say, well, I, I want to know where's the key to the shed? And where's the key to the riding lawnmower? And where did you put the paperwork for the title to the car? I can't find it anywhere. We've tipped this house over. We can't find it. And there are little things they want to know, right? Just little things. So it is when Jesus is about to die, and he knows he's about to die, he gets right down to the real stuff. And he says, I want you to know, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Friends lay down their lives for them. And he's starting to tell them this. And then he says, I'm the true vine. He's telling them, I'm your connectivity. This is all about relationship. And he's telling them, you stay close to me, you remain in me, you abide with me, and I in you. You'll be fruitful. You don't have to worry about being fruitful. You'll be fruitful. But you get away from me, your life will die fast. Your life will be sick, pale, You'll never be fruitful like you could be. Okay, John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I have remained in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and I remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and so that your joy may be complete. 
Israel knew they could never measure up. They could never tie in with God the way they wanted to. And Jesus at this final dinner says, I'll tie you in. I will engraft you as it will. And you will be a branch. I'll be your vine. I'll be your connector. And, and you'll be fruitful. It won't even be an option anymore. But you've got to stay connected. You have to get, get it, go back to the passage. You have to remain in me. You have to remain in me. Another translation, abide in me. You have to stay close to me. Stay connected. Now, in the metaphor, here's the metaphor. Jesus, we'll start with the Father. The Father is the gardener in the story. Verse 1, I'm the true vine. My Father is the gardener. The gardener owns the property, right? The, the, the gardener has rights to the property. The prop, he is there on the property before there's ever a vineyard. You get this? So he is, in the story, he's the preexistent one. You get this? This is crazy deep in its analogy. But as the metaphor goes, the gardener is in charge. It's his vineyard. He's a decision maker. He has the right to grow what he wants. It was his before it was a vineyard. It'll be his after the vineyard. It's all his. So anything that comes of the fruit, it'll be his right to grow it, his right to prune it, trim it. He can burn the stalks if he wants. He can do what he wants because it's his. And more than once, the passage says about fruit, verses 2 and then verse 8. We want fruit, and then we want more fruit, and then we want abundant or much fruit. Okay? If you're a gardener, you know it's to be true. You like it when you see the little flowers come out. You know tomatoes aren't far behind. So you see the flowers pop, but you want more flowers because more flowers means more fruit, and then you want much fruit. You've had days where... You wonder, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? Why does this plant in particular really produce and that one not so much? Uh, that's what a gardener does. The fruit is God's loving, kind of uh, productive relationship that he has with his followers. So the, the Father in heaven, he is the gardener. Secondly, the Savior, Jesus himself, is the vine. Verse 1 again, I am the true vine. My Father is the gardener. Fruit is only possible because there is a vine. You don't get fruit if you don't have a vine. You can't just go to a garden and dig in the dirt and pull out fruit. There has to be a plant attached to it. Jesus is the provider. So you, you can't ever think, we'll ever have a fruitful life apart from Jesus. That, that's, why it, that's why today even, you're driving in the country and you drive past, it's called a vineyard, Right? It's never called a grapeyard. Think about it, right? They never call them grapeyards. They call them vineyards. That's what you see, that's what you identify, and that's all about Jesus. He is the vine. We are, thirdly, the branches. The people are the branches. Verse 2, he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. Stop there. This gardener, owns the property. I hope you get the relationship now. The gardener owns the property. He can do what he wants. He has a vineyard. Jesus is the vine, and that vine actually submits to the gardener. When you think about the administrative offices of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Jesus is in submission to what the Father wants to do. It's an amazing kind of analogy when you think about it. He does the bidding of the, of the gardener, and he is really the connector for the branch. And you and I, people, are the branches. 
And it says about the branches that he cuts off the ones that are not productive. It's the equivalent of having dead wood. You know what dead wood is? It's just, it's just never been productive. Um, Wanda and I live in a house, and, and a house has trees on it. The wind blows like your wind blows at your place, right? We've had some great winds. And what happens is that's when you find out where the dead wood is in your trees. Stuff's falling out of the trees like crazy. Big chunks, dead wood. And I just think, well, that's one more thing I don't have to pay for is the guy to trim the tree. He just, nature trimmed the tree for me. Just glad it didn't take the roof with it, you know. There'll be moments you realize there's a lot of dead wood. Dead wood is unproductive. And in this sense, what this is really talking about in the analogy is wood that's never been productive, does not produce, never will produce because it's dead. Listen to me carefully. This part of the story, and this will be substantiated elsewhere in Jesus' words and then eventually in the epistles, there are some people who look like a plant but are really dead wood. They call themselves Christians, but they're not. They called, I've had this happen before. I asked, are you a Christian? Of course I am, which means I am not a cannibal or I am not a whatever. They aren't really identifying with Jesus. What they are doing is identifying away from something else. But do they really tie into Jesus? No, not really. Are they a Christ follower in faith? Not really. Just because people call themselves Christian does not make them Christian. And, and the proof is in the fruit. You can write that down. You can research it later. Fruitfulness cannot help but, but come. That's why when sometimes when a person comes to me and says, well, you know, Hank, you know, he went to camp and he made a decision or he prayed a prayer, he went to VBS. And, okay, do I, have any, do I have any indication that your son is giving you so much trouble? Is, is there any indication that he actually follows Jesus? No, not really. Have you ever had any, is he have any prompting of the spirit within him? Is there anything within you that makes you think there might be spiritual life? No, not really. He owns a Bible. We drag him to church. That does not make him a Christian. What we have to do, we can't reform him into one. We can't force him into one. We have to pray him into the kingdom because it's spiritual work. It really is. So just don't even think for a moment that just because there's dead wood that it is going to be productive, it's not going to be productive. Never has been, never will be. What they need is spiritual life. So when people are Christian only by name, what Jesus says is the Father's going to cut them down and throw them to the pile. That's why it's so critical that you examine your life to see if you're of the faith. Examine your life, and I tell you that with a broken heart. Examine yourself. Make sure you are a follower in Christ, regardless of what other issues are. Make sure you trust Christ personally. And when you do, I I would love to tell you, the way will be easier and lighter and happier and more joyful. There'll be pieces to that are true, but not always, because what he says is, those who are true Christians, the back end of the verse, while every branch that does bear fruit, what does he do? Does he coddle it? Does he care for it? Does he speak loving words to it? No, what does he do? He prunes it. He trims it. So it'll produce even more fruit. This is not the answer we wanted to hear. 
We wanted to hear the master gardener would come down the road and go, oh, someone's producing fruit, good for you, and give it a nice happy talk and pat it and stroke the branches and good job and talk to it in a positive way. No, what he does is he pulls the scissors out of his back pocket or his pocket knife. He pulls it out and he trims it even more, which is painful to Christians. And it's not what we want to hear, but it's exactly what the father does because he's the master gardener and he wants you to be not only fruitful, more fruitful, he wants you to be even more fruitful yet. He trims away the parts of your life that will suck energy. Now, here's what happens. Some of us in the room today are going along in the Christian life and there's little bits of fruit in your life and you're happy for that. I'm happy for you. Others are at that... You're at that abundant, fruitful stage, okay? But there are some in our room, and it will happen to you somewhere in life, where you are in the fall or the winter of your faith. And by that, what I mean is you have long nights and short days, and the gardener's coming down the row, and he is trimming, cutting on your life, and it is painful. But he does that because he's not committed for your life to be painless, he wants your life to be productive. If you were to write that down, he wants me to be productive. He's not aimed for my life to be painless. See? So the master gardener goes down the row and every branch that does produce fruit, he trims it. And, and then you could be even more productive in the life. And that word picture for that productivity is called relationship. You are already clean, Why? Because the word is spoken to you. What is he talking about here? We've lost this. The reason we have is because we haven't read the entire Gospel of John together. We're just in 15. But in 13, they go in for the dinner, and as is the custom of the day, they wash the feet of the people. Uh, Customs are funny. They really change uh, uh, with generations and places where you live and how you live. But there's some houses in America, even when you walk in the door, maybe your house is this way, there's a pile of shoes at the door. You just kick your shoes off and you go through that. It's just implied. Take your shoes off and you go through the house in your stocking feet. Some houses actually have a tray where it collects the snow or ice or rain, depending on where you are in the country. It has a little tray there to collect the water and you take your shoes off. Others have that and then also have a pile of stockings or slippers for you to wear, which is, I think, pretty cool. There are uh, some places that uh, have different customs than that. But what they do is you're trying to keep the house clean. Well, when you come to Jesus, what he does is he washes you clean. That's like taking a bath, Thessalonians says. He washes you with the water of redemption. And when he washes you, you're fully clean. That's what he means in, uh, in verse 2 at, at, or verse 3 when he says, you are clean because of the word. You've been washed with the word. So they are clean already, but... In the custom of that day, these guys, even though they're believers, even though they're clean, they had a bath, they've traveled to someone's house for dinner. When they get to dinner, these guys are in open-toed sandals, and they're walking on a dusty road, dirty road, with lots of animals. And so when they get there, it was the custom of the day that there would be someone at the door who would greet them, usually a servant or the master of the house. They would greet them, take off their sandals, and bathe their feet, just wash their feet, and sometimes even wash their sandals. And they might stay in the house barefoot, or they might put the sandals back on. But the idea was, we're washing your feet. Jesus did that. When no one else was willing to do it, he became a servant 
So I'll wash the feet. Nothing too good for me to do. And that's the way it is for Christians. There's nothing that's beneath us. We'll do anything. It doesn't matter. So the idea of that, though, is that periodic cleansing, that is a word picture for what we call confession. And that's why sometimes at the Lord's table, when the elements are going out, you'll hear, you'll hear someone on a mic say, and take this opportunity, you're already washed clean before the Lord, but take this opportunity, examine your heart, not only to see if you're of the faith, but examine your heart to see if there's something in your life that needs confession. That's the washing of the feet. See, you're getting back, so you're fully clean before the Lord. So when you take communion, take the elements, you do so fully clean before the Lord. So go back now to verse three. The word picture is all about relationships. He says, I want you to catch up and be current in the relationship. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And because of this now, he says, now you can hear and you'll be cleansed. and, And now you can move into the house and you can have communion. You can have fellowship because the whole issue of relationship is settled. Now, that... That fruit now that goes through the branch, we have the gardener owns the garden, Jesus is the, the uh, vine, we are the branches, and out on the end of the branch is fruit. Having said that now, fruit is this productive kind of life that we would love to have. Verse four, remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. The word remain occurs more than fruit. Do you notice this? The idea of staying connected to Jesus is the bigger idea. You will be fruitful if you stay connected. So staying connected is the issue. But here's what I see happen. Among good Christians, we read this verse to mean if you aren't fruitful in the Christian life, Try real hard to produce more fruit. Like, you know, so you're trying real hard, and he's saying, no, that's exactly what I'm not saying. That's exactly what the Old Testament saints did. They tried real hard, and it does not work. So what does? Remaining with Jesus, that's what works. Staying connected to him, that's what works. Drawing your source in life off of Jesus, that's what works. You remain in me, and I in you, you will be productive, you will be fruitful. And when you produce fruit, you'll produce more and even more yet. But here's what happens, I brought with me a branch. This branch is cut off, you like it? It will never produce fruit. You know how I know? Because it's dead, okay? But um, some of you, when it snowed yesterday, you almost ran to the attic and got your tree out, did you not? (laughs) Did anybody else put on Christmas carols? Okay, good. I'm proud of you. When you cut down a Christmas tree, some of you, you, you have no idea about this, but there was a day when trees went in a house that were real. And then when you cut that tree in the woods, or in my case, we would go to the best gas station lot in town and pick a tree from a, a lot or a Boy Scout lot. You, you grab a tree, it was a real tree. The day that tree got cut, it was beginning to die right? So now it's just a race to see who's going to win. So you're going to bring that tree in the house. It's been out in the cold 
You're going to bring it in the house, but you're going to plop it into a stand. When you put it in a stand, you're going to put water in it, and it's going to suck water up, and it's, that water is going to help keep the needles on. And you pray to the gods of heaven that the needles stay on, because if they don't, they're going to clog your vacuum cleaner, right? And you don't want that to happen. See, you want this thing. You don't want a fire hazard. You don't want all that to happen. Some of you have artificial trees, always have. You've never known, you know, just how adventurous life could be by cutting down a real tree. Just try it sometime. But the day you cut that tree down, it's beginning to die. The needles will fall out. I have never, ever heard of anybody say, yeah, we watered that tree, it grew a root, went right through the basement. That has never happened, to my knowledge. Probably somewhere it has. But to my knowledge, it hasn't happened. The day you cut it, it begins to die. That same thing's true with flowers. You like the flowers that are in your garden? You have tulips right now, and they're so beautiful. They're, they're so bright, and you, you cut them and you bring them in the house because you want to see them on the kitchen table, and that's okay. Just know, the day you cut them, they've started to die. You have three good days, maybe five. If you're lucky, seven, but probably three. <laughs> you don't have many. So you say, well, I really love them. I want them to be close to them, so you cut them off. That's like a death sentence. To the, the tulips are going, we were doing so well. Next year, we're not doing so well because you cut us. Take us inside. This branch will never produce fruit because it's dead. So what do we try to do? We say, well, you know what I'll do? I'll think about producing fruit even harder. I'll try harder. That's what we do. Will that produce fruit? It won't do it. Why? Because the branch is dead. Some of us say, well, it's, it's and I brought with me, this is a forsythia. This is not really a vine, but it was the, it's, I brought this in from the snow yesterday. You like it? And it's alive. It's, it's doing well. There is a way you could make this branch, if the day it got cut, you could engraft it. You know what engrafting is? Romans chapter 11 actually talks about this. But scientists do this today. If you had an apple tree, let's just say you had Macintosh apples, you say, I like Macintosh, but I really like Fuji, so I like some Fujis as well. You could get a branch of the Fuji, and if you did it just right, you could take a branch of the Fuji and engraft it into your Macintosh and have both kinds of apples on the same tree. That is a way of getting it done. It's, it's not easy and it takes a lot of attending to. That's exactly what God does for us when he engrafts us into his family. Romans chapter 11 tells us. He brings us into his family and he engrafts us into the family that's already there. Okay? Which is a wonderful thing, but it's a miracle when it happens. Okay? So if we had this branch, it was just falling to the ground, we engrafted it, it would work. But what happens, I'm just going to stick it in the ground here. That does not bring that thing back to life. Some of us think, well, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll make my own fruit. So I can't be fruitful in the Christian life, but I don't want other people to think that I'm not fruitful because it's all about appearances, right? And you're 20, 30, 40 feet away. You're never going to know this isn't real fruit. So... My life has fruit to it, and you don't know any different. And you know what I think? You're thinking, he is partly crazy, <laughs> because we can tell from 50 feet away, that's not fruit. And I say to you, oh, this is the best fruit. I'm lying, I'm, I'm, telling, I'm, I'm promoting this. this is, these are the best apples in the world. Like them apples? They are good apples. There, thank you for that 
cheap applause. That was, that was. If you ate those apples, they would taste like cardboard, dusty cardboard on a good day. They're just not going to work. The only, t the only person who thinks that's real fruit is a guy flying in an airplane overhead from 500 feet up. He'd look down and go, hey, there's some fruit. Anybody close. Here's what happens. Though. You think in the Christian life, I can't produce the fruit, and I'm not connected like I'd like, so I'll fake it. And you know what? You don't produce fruit. You just, fake, you just produce fake fruit that isn't edible, but you aren't fooling anybody either, and you're wasting your time on the wrong end of the tree. Get this. You, you, you start by going out to the fruit when you shouldn't start there. If you're taking notes, Colossians chapter 2, verses 7, 8, 9. We are rooted and built up in him. You attend to the roots. What is going on in the life? And, what, and how did I get disconnected to the actual vine? That is the bigger issue. This, uh, this dead limb will never produce fruit. You can't attach enough fake fruit for it to ever become real. And if you put your attention on the fruit, you're working the system at the wrong way. Get, get this. The system never has gone from fruit down the branch into the vine and into the ground. Has it ever? No, not ever. How does it come? Nutrition for that fruit comes from the sky when it rains into the ground. The, the rain drops, goes to the ground, goes under this vine, or in this case, the shrub, gives nutrients to the vine of the shrub, comes up the vine, out the branch, and to the fruit. And if you trim this well, which we don't like to do, we don't want to do it. It's painful. But if you trim it well, it becomes even more fruitful. The flow has always been from the ground up. So the issue is not to attend to the fruit. The issue is to attend to your connectivity to Jesus. Oh my, do you get this? The issue is, I have to remain in him. Stay connected to that vine. Because that is my life. And he almost, not that you neglect the fruit, but you almost let go of the fruit for the moment. Put your efforts into remaining connected. And the more connected you are, the better the flow will be. But if you cut off the connectedness, you're going to be in trouble. Have you ever sat down and crossed your legs and did it funny and then a leg fell asleep? And then the phone rings, and you get up. You're walking like, what in the world? And you're, okay, give me a minute, give me a minute. And the people on the other end of the line say, I'm sorry, I didn't know you square danced. Are you square dancing? No, it's not. I'm just trying to get my leg back. What happened? Your leg fell what? Asleep. You ever put your arm on the back of a chair? And it begins to go numb and then tingle? Your arm is what? Asleep. Yeah, you leave it there very long, it will atrophy after a while. It will fade on you, right? And then you try to sign your name, you try to do something with fine motor skill, it can't happen. Understand this, do that with your soul. Get disconnected somehow from Jesus. Guess what will happen to your soul? It'll begin to fall asleep. It'll begin to tingle and go numb. It will not have fine motor skill. It will not nearly be as attentive It'll be somewhat dense and not very aware of spiritual things because it's going to sleep and is working its way backwards, really, spiritually. So how do you stay totally connected? The answers are very, very simple. You, could, you know these. Number one, the word of God. Stay, 
Your, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. It is like the tree planted by the river. It's just, it, it is my nutrition for life, and I just need a piece of it every day. If you are not a good reader, then get it on an audio somewhere, but you just need to get a little bit of it every day. Some of us need it two or three times a day, just like a meal. But then you need to talk to the Lord too. So you need to speak back to him what you're hearing in his word with a conversation. So you do not talk, you do not talk about A, B, and C, and then, then a person responds to you, H-I-J-K. No, it's A, B, and C, and then they reply A, B, and C. They reply back. When you pray, pray back what you just read. Keep it within the context. And as you do that, you'll build some relationship and some connectivity of the vine going to the branch. And you know what will happen when the vine connects with the branch really well? You will be, you cannot help but be, you will be fruitful. You won't be able to stop the fruit. You cannot stop the fruit because that is the outcome of your connectivity. So if you don't feel very fruitful over a season of time, maybe in a pruning season, but after a season of time, you still don't sense yourself being fruitful, don't worry about the fruit. Go back to the connectivity. The word of God, prayer, meditation, talking to the Lord, listening to him through his word, speaking back to him what you hear. I believe, too, another piece to this is our good Christian friends who speak the word of truth to you and who challenge you to live for Jesus. I think, too, when you're in moments of solitary where you have either art on a wall or music from the stereo or, or, or you're, you're working through your hands some way where you are serving the Lord or hearing um, the word of the Lord in another means because we are, uh, you, you know, we're very t- tactical people. We get it in different ways. And so because we're very different people, we need to get it in different avenues at different times in our lives. I think all of that needs to happen in a primary kind of a way. Now, once you've done that, you can expect your life um, uh, to be fruitful. But I'm reminded, again, if you're taking notes, Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience. It's kindness, goodness, faithfulness. But think of this, if you will, like a tangerine. it is a fruit, so get this down, this is, this is not the fruits plural of the Spirit, this is the fruit singular of the Spirit. In other words, this is the outgrowth, or this is the outcome of the Holy Spirit working in your life. And it is love and joy and peace and long-suffering or patience, forbearance. It is, it is kindness and gentleness and goodness. It's all those things. Those are all outcomes but when I pick up a tangerine, I don't know about you, but when I peel and eat tangerines, I love to eat a tangerine. We keep a box of them on the island all the time. So we just, everybody eats them in our house, kind of like candy. I have yet to ever have a tangerine where like sections one, three, and five are huge and the other ones are small. Okay? No, they're all pretty much the same size. What's that telling you from nature? What's that telling you? That fruit, because it's singular, grows, and nothing outgrows the other. So if you are struggling with kindness and goodness, you may not know it. You may also be struggling with love and joy. But don't attack those, and you may be addressing those. I want to be kinder. I want to be more gentle. 
want to be more loving. That's okay. What you might really do is ask yourself, what is cutting off the flow of the Holy Spirit in my life? Because this is the fruit or it's the outcome of the Spirit. This is really, those things are a product of the Holy Spirit working in my life. So what am I strangulating in the process? What am I cutting off? What's gone to sleep in my arm in, within my spirit? Because chances are, if you're struggling in one of those areas of the fruit of the Spirit, probably many of them, and that's going to affect the whole fruit. Go back to the fruit of the Spirit. What is the flow of the Spirit in my life, and what keeps the flow from increasing and being healthy? Okay? I say this, always stay connected to Jesus. As you do that, what you're going to find too is this. The world and your own soul and parts of the system around you are going to work at cutting off the work of the Spirit or you being somehow independent from the Spirit and somehow independent from what Jesus wants to do in your life. And so you have to guard yourself against that. I jotted some things down this week. What cuts my affection to Jesus? Sometimes it's an actual friendship. Sometimes a friendship can be downright toxic to your relationship with Jesus to get you not to trust Jesus or not to walk in step with Jesus or to do the things that Jesus says. Sometimes it is, it's downright, it's just television. There's just drama on top of drama in television. And there's uh, drama in the relationships and drama everywhere and it, it can be downright addictive. Sports can be uh, something that would just strangulate or cut off my affection for Jesus. And when it becomes more important, when it becomes my definition, when it becomes my loyalty, that's too much loyalty. And the reason I say that is this. We not only have sports, and I like sports, and probably many of us in the room like sports, but sports have gone into overdrive to the point where sports are overlapping and the games have increased and the stakes are even higher, right? And now there are whole channels devoted to sports. There are whole channels devoted to a specific sport. There are whole channels devoted not only to the sport itself, so it takes three hours to play the game. Then there's three hours of analysis and three hours of pregame. We're close to addiction here, folks. Do you get this? That can steal your joy, drain your life, empty you, and if at the end of the day your team lost, you're low because you just gave away nine hours for nothing. See, you understand how this could affect your affection for Jesus? So you have, it isn't that sports are bad. Let me move even deeper to the deeper end of the pool if I could. News. I, I mean, how much news do you need and how often? You have to regulate that. Some of us are just news junkies, but the news, the channels, again, it could lead to addiction. I'll tell you this too. It used to be, just go back 100 years in history, go back 200 years in history, bad things still happened all the way around the world, but it took a week for people to find out about them. Today, when something bad happens, we know within minutes. You understand this? So when you get up in the morning and turn on the news, if that's the first thing in the diet of your head, if that's the first thing you're seeing here, you will be overwhelmed with awful things that happened overnight because they've had six hours to pile it on while you've been sleeping. I, I was finishing these notes on Thursday morning as I was writing. I actually write on a computer and I have a news feed to the back of, this, of my notes. And I thought, I wonder, I was going to illustrate by saying this is what happened the very moment I was, I was going to write it down. It was too depressing. 
There were so many bad things happening on my feed, and they were ridiculously bad. I mean, so bad you almost can't make this stuff up. Right? Have you seen this on the news? Or you just go, how could this be? That will overwhelm you, but it will drain your joy for the Lord. Get this. Drain your joy for the Lord. It will also distract you from your affection for Jesus and cause you then to worry or to stress out or wonder, oh, Lord, just come. We're in an awful, gosh, awful place to be. And, and what will happen then is it, it steals your affection and it drains your life. So you may need to curb it. You may need to put a moratorium on it. You just might have to. I, I don't know where you are, and you have to determine that yourself. And I'm telling you what you can and can't do. I, you know, only cults can do that. We're obviously not a cult because you do what you want anyway, right? Yeah, so. But let me close with this verse here. Hebrews chapter 12. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up. What, what can happen is this. You could have a great vine and a good gardener and a great branch and some great fruit. And yet if an infection comes in, you can be in big trouble. So you have to see to it that nothing comes between you and your connection to Jesus because if it does, that's a disloyalty. That becomes an idol. That's a disloyalty that will cut you off and ruin you. I think I've told you this before, but a long time ago I was um, gardening and I, I love my garden. My garden barely loves me, but I love it to garden. It's growing some stuff and I was really pleased because my garden seemed to be growing well I, and I even, I was kind of proud of it. I even had butterflies in my garden, but I found out later they weren't really butterflies. They were demons from hell <laughs> out to eat my broccoli and my cauliflower. They looked like butterflies, but they were moths that were, they were, they were having a feast. They were like, hey, it's Thanksgiving at the Huffman farm. Come over here. And all the other butterflies came, chewed my flowers to shreds. And, and uh, anyway, so it doesn't take much to eat at the base of this, right? And when that happens, then you have to trim it all the way back. You lose the whole season of fruitfulness because you have to trim it all the way back and you almost have to kill it as you cut off all the bad stuff and start over again. Understand this. If you allow a root of bitterness to come in, you will have to cut your life all the way back so then maybe one day you can be fruitful again. It's a survival thing. So see to it that you don't allow a root of bitterness to come your way. Last verse, chapter 15, verse 5. I am the vine. Get this down. Jesus is the vine. He's saying, you are the branches. It's who we are. If you remain in me, that's my job. Remain in him. And I in you, you will bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. He's saying, I'm the true vine. I will be for you what you could never be. The whole Old Testament told us this. I will be for you, your connectivity to the Father. I'll be your middle person. You're a branch. You always have been a branch. I'll be the vine that will get you the fruit. But you've got to stay connected. I will be your connection to the Father. And I will be your source of productivity, is what Jesus is saying. And I'll cut this stuff that drains your life, that keeps you from being productive. But you, you have to remain in me. 
You have to stay connected. And I can't do that for you. You have to do it for yourself. So my word to you as it close is this. Do whatever you have to do to keep that line of connection with Jesus open because he is the vine. We are the branches. We'll be productive, but apart from him, we can do nothing. Let's bow together for prayer and let's stand as we pray, shall we? Lord, once again, your word rings so true and so personal to every one of us to realize you have visited us with your grace. You've given us a savior and for that we're always, always thankful. thankful. Thank you, Lord, for a great savior who came to be ours when he paid the price of sin on the cross. And then he tells us he will be the connection for us to you. We thank you. And right where you're standing, you just tell the Lord, would you just tell the Lord, thank you for the connection through Jesus. Help me to keep the flow going from the ground through the, through the root, through the plant, to the branch, out the productivity. And Lord, for that kind of flow to happen, Lord, we ask that we'd be sensitive to whatever cuts the flow. May we be the people we pray who remain in you and follow you ever so closely. Maybe be aware of whatever cuts into that or whatever illness would come to stifle it. And Father, for those who would say, um, God, I, I need the Savior, I pray today they'd open their hearts as well. We thank, we thank you, Lord, that you are a good God in heaven and you care for us by giving us your word. Um, may we take it to heart now. We pray in Christ's name. The church says amen. amen.